This is episode 14 of the Sudden Wealth Podcast, brought to you by SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com, a proud provider of proven and effective legal strategies for protecting your wealth. Do you qualify for using a trust that's backed by 200 years of case law and is effective in all states as well as in bankruptcy court? Find out by visiting SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com and sign up to talk to an attorney. And please do that after you finish listening to this episode because you'll love what you're about to learn. At Sudden Wealth Protection Law, we know that you want your heirs to have the same work ethic and drive that you do. And if you have recently had a financial windfall, such as an inheritance or selling a business, you want to make good choices and to feel understood. In order for that to happen, you need guidance that you can trust and the support of a community of people who understand you. But the problem when it comes to getting professional help in this area is that, frankly, there are a lot of posers and wannabes, so it's hard to know who you can trust. Now, we believe that everyone deserves the best help when it comes to protecting your family's wealth. We understand what it's like to be the target of greed, jealousy, and resentment just because you have money. I personally inherited $14 million from my father and blew most of it because the only people who seemed to care about me emotionally, or like on a personal level, were con artists. They won my trust and I lost millions in the process. That's why I became a certified family wealth advisor and started Sudden Wealth Protection Law. Now, although Sudden Wealth is central to our discussions, we also talk about other topics such as psychology of money, family dynamics, saving taxes, and asset protection strategies, just to name a few. In this podcast, we talk to Tiffany House, who calls herself a concierge for helping wealthy business owners going through transitions, such as the sale of a business. During the conversation, Tiffany mentioned three key insights that I think you're going to love to learn. Number one, you'll learn what a donor-advised fund is and how it might be a good idea for your family. Second, you'll learn good practices in operating a donor-advised fund and operating practices to stay away from. And third, we learned the importance of asking questions. We talked about this in other episodes also. Again, lean forward and listen carefully because this episode could have a significant impact on your future financial success. Hi there, Tiffany. Hello. Welcome, welcome to our podcast. And we also have Alexandra and Mike Zelno. So Tiffany House, would you share a little bit about yourself? Uh, certainly. I was in the financial services industry for almost 20 years, helping high net worth individuals uh, do more complicated planning. It was a family business with my father. And uh, so we got to work with people in unique situations, usually between 20 and 500 million. And uh, through that process, I really found my passion for charitable planning and charitable trusts. We used a lot of charitable trusts to help our clients sell their business uh, and accomplish some of their other goals. And so I recently moved into the realm of consulting uh, in twofold. I uh, help with planned giving or gift planning uh, for donors who want to give complicated assets. I also work with business owners and helping them transition their business. 
So I see myself as a concierge for high net worth families that are involved in complicated situations, scenarios, events, whether that be transitioning a business, planning their philanthropy. Uh, It could be that they want to do some tax planning. They had a large tax event or just value-based estate planning. So I get to be a consultant with that and work with their advisory team to help them accomplish their goals. How do you get business, Tiffany? Meaning, let's see, let, let, me, let me backtrack on that question. I apologize. That sounded rude. But what I, mean, what I mean is, I don't think business owners probably search for concierge or whatever. Like, no, how do people find you? Well, for the business sale aspect of it, it is uh, typically all from referrals from my advisory friends, whether it be uh, estate planning attorneys, uh, transactional attorneys, um, business brokers, uh, uh, interim CFOs. So uh, they're the ones who usually introduce me. Also, I can, you know, kind of help offset some liability for some of the more complicated planning that comes about. And for, uh, with plan giving, I have been very involved in the community here for quite some time. So I have great relationships with, I would say, 30 to 40 charities that I know well. And so I, I work with, uh, like, my one of my clients right now is Maricopa Community Colleges Foundation. So I get to help the 10 colleges we talk to their donors about giving of assets and as uh, an estate's legacy guest. Oh, so interesting. Okay. So for those of us that maybe are not like ultra familiar with this aspect, what you do, what exactly do you mean when you say planned giving? So I'm, I'm assuming there it's like a charitable contribution of some sort, but there I'm sure there's some intricacies and subtleties that, you know, we wouldn't normally get with just a, you know, regular definition. So what, what would you say it is that, you know, you really do nitty gritty? Yeah, well, I think it's a great question. And I think that even the industry doesn't even know what plan giving is, or or there's a a move out there to call it gift planning, but it really comes in twofold. There's the opportunity for legacy gifts of gifts in your estate, your will, or your trust. Uh, And then there's asset gifts that can happen now, or some of them even at death, where you can do some planning and give an asset, get the tax deduction, but also save on Uh, capital gains, uh, income taxes, other taxes, as well as get the deduction. And my specialty is charitable trust. So I've used charitable remainder trust to help people sell their businesses. I've uh, helped them plan their philanthropy, help them accomplish their estate planning. Uh, And I also like to work with charitable lead trust. But in that, I've also focused on You know, all sorts of whether it's a deferred sales trust to help a business owner kick the tax can down the road. But with our increasing potential for capital gains, I'm not sure that that's the smartest, but we'll see what happens with the tax code going forward. But really looking at all aspects, the charitable trusts are really kind of what put me towards this direction. And then looking to work with donors and business owners to help them find the best tool that fits their unique need to accomplish what they want to accomplish in their complicated scenario. My What I've found is there's quite a few advisors who are comfortable with one tool or another, where I've made myself very comfortable in the broad spectrum of opportunities to help people do tax advantage planning and plan their philanthropy. So 
A lot of times, you know, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, how family dynamics come into play a lot with Mm -hmm. this kind of planning. So I imagine that you have had some interesting experiences probably about getting, you know, the next generation on board with what's going on. And like, you know, how do you mediate between what the asset owners want and like, you know, kind of guide their family direction with that? Well, we used to call ourselves also financial psychologists because it does take a a lot of work and effort to really be able to talk to a family, work in family dynamics where, you know, there's situations where certain people, uh, one of the children's working in the business and the others aren't. How do you make things fair and equitable? And it's a great question. I've run into a lot of, we especially work with a lot of family owned businesses. So it gets very complicated. And I, the one thing I have learned is that almost every family has some dark secret that they really don't want everyone to know. But but it's true, no matter what the the wealth, wealth scale is, there's usually something in there. So it really takes the availability to have a perspective of the cooperative goal and really wanting the family to be able to come back for Christmas and Thanksgiving and to be able to get along with each other. So it does take some good mediation skills, as I'm sure you know, Paul. Oh, sure. At what point in the process are you pulled in to advise on this stuff? Uh, It varies. Uh, Sometimes uh, from very early on when I was a financial advisor, a lot of them were already my clients. Now that I've moved into this realm, I really, uh, there's, uh, as far as business owners, some of them, uh, when they're starting to think about selling, where I like to get in is two to five years beforehand so that we can start looking and and contemplating. But the reality is I get a lot of people who say, okay, I want to sell, I need to sell, or I'm ready to retire. And they haven't done that planning ahead. And I always like to share with them first and foremost is one, what are you planning on doing after retirement or after selling the business? What does that look like for you? What are you going to need to not only what do you think the value is of your business, but what is your real take home value? Because a lot of people don't consider that there's not only capital gains taxation that they have to worry about, but it's Arizona state tax. It's the net investment income tax. So, uh, you know, most assets, if you're uh, a lot of times with those bigger sales, you're looking at a 28.3% tax on that asset. So losing almost 30% of it isn't something that a lot of people put into their planning. And that's where I can really come in and add value. But I like to help them through the process and getting to think about it, making sure they have management uh, involved, whether that's non-qualified deferred compensation, to be able to help them to have the best business to sell at the best price and reduce taxes. How often do you work with family foundations or help the family set up their own foundation? You know, family foundations, I did, I did work with them more in the past. Now we're moving towards donor advice. Okay. I do a lot of work with donor advice funds because they're a little bit more simplistic. You don't have to worry about the self-dealing rules. And uh, I, it, it depends on what a person's motivation is. I have only found there was uh, two times recently where I suggested it might be worthy to have a foundation. However, they didn't really have the funding to do what they wanted to do anyway. So nothing really moved forward in both scenarios. They just had a big dream. And so I do get those as well. (laughs) 
Well, and I know the IRS has scrutinized donor advised funds in the past. And this is, <laughs> I guess maybe we don't want to get too technical in this, but I, what do you know, I guess, or how should I say this? Do you have any advice for a family that wants to maybe do a donor advised fund? And actually, let me backtrack. And as a lawyer, I'll say, strike that question. The first question is, can you tell everyone what a donor advised fund is? Well, I call a donor advised fund a poor man's foundation. Uh, It allows a family to be able to, or a person, to piggyback off of someone else's 501c3 status. So it could be a community foundation, but Fidelity Investments, a Fidelity Charitable is the largest charity in the world right now. And that is just because of their donor advised fund program. So donor advised funds are gaining a lot of popularity, especially with itemized deductions being reduced and such as well. But what it is, is it allows you to have a fund that you can direct grants to at a larger 501c3 organization. And you get the deduction when you fund your donor advised fund. And then you can send out the funds to all the nonprofits. It has to go to a nonprofit organization, though. It cannot go to a scholarship or an individual person. It must go to another sponsor or it must go to another 501c3 organization. And it helps with the donors being able to write that one check each year to the donor advised fund and then grant out as they see need. It also helps. So that helps with your accounting. And the donor advised fund is the money is given away, but you can still invest it so it can grow. So you'll find some people who maybe were giving two $5,000 a year gifts who now with itemized deductions, not, ne- not necessarily working for them with a higher itemized deduction uh, or higher standard deduction, I should say. Uh, so they can bunch their gifts. So they can do three, two, four years of giving all at one point in time, get the deduction, itemize in the year that they give, and then allocate to their nonprofits as they see fit in the future. Oh, I was going to say one of my favorite utilizations of a donor advised fund is to teach family philanthropy. So like in my family, we have a donor advised fund and our kids are allowed to grant out of it twice a year and they have to pick the charities and they uh, research it. So it also is an opportunity to really create a legacy of philanthropy within a family. That's actually like a really cool idea. So what I've seen as a lawyer is helping families create their own nonprofit, use a charitable remainder trust to get a tax deduction, have the money then go to their own family's 501c3. And one of the mission of the family 501c3 may be to travel the world and help other people somehow. So they would actually go on family vacations and simultaneously maybe teach people about I don't teach English or something like that, or help help build a house or something. Have you seen things like that? I I try to stay away from things like that because <laughs> I get concerned about self-dealing and what that looks like. I was right. approached by a gentleman who had a, he had an environmental company. It was environmental, like uh, regulatory. And they went in, they were supposed to, you know, have them live within the environmental codes, these businesses that were their clients. But what they really did is kind of help them 
get out of trouble, not necessarily being proactive environmentally. So this gentleman, the business was eating him up personally. So he sold it. And then he's like, Oh my gosh, I have this huge tax liability. What am I going to do? And I said, well, you could look at a charitable lead trust and a charitable lead trust because he wanted to start a charity to help kind of undo what he did in the environmental regulating industry to really be a advocate for the environment. And so I started talking to him. He's like, well, how much can I get paid? I'm like, oh, if that's the first question we're asking, I'm not sure that, you know, this is the the, the right opportunity for you because, you know, it has to be, I kind of walked through some of the regulations and he wanted to get paid much more than that. So using it as a bypass tool to just avoid taxes is something that I I, I don't like to get involved in. I'll usually walk away from things like that just because I think it's important to give back to the community as well as save in taxes and do advanced planning. I, I think one of the things that's important here is to ask the client why and keep mm-hmm. asking why's until you really drill down. I mean, asking a client, why do you want to do this? Well, I want to take care of my tax situation. Okay, why do you want, you know, and just keep going with the why's. And like you said on the one client, the, the why had nothing to do with being charitable or very little to do with being charitable. He thought it was originally, but then he was like, but, but I don't want to give away all that money. <laughs> I need to get yeah. recoup as much as I can. Back. And, right. And I think that's where the whys come in. And, and, and I was at a recent Zoom meeting with an advisory group. And I said, maybe as consultants, we need to do a better job at being four-year-olds and saying, why, 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 until you really get to where you need to be. Okay. I, I think that's great. No, that's that's all really interesting. Can we finish off with you telling a story? Do you have like maybe the most interesting story of what someone donated or some situation that you remember without giving names? I, well, I do. I I can get nice and complex or we can get kind of nice and simple. Yeah. One thing that I have found in my work is I've been able to help people of extreme wealth. But I think this is something that can be done for um, just about anyone to be able to accomplish their family goals. But um, there was a family uh, that had a family business in Texas, and they had a lot, they had farmland. So it was a farming uh, a business that had involved into real estate. But they, uh, the tollway in Texas was coming through that area. And it was an ideal location for a car, car lot. So, you know, car sales. And so the value of that property with the tollway coming through grew exponentially. And we had, we had three sons involved in the business and the father, we were able to help them. We ended up doing a charitable lead trust and discounting that and then having the funds go to their own donor advice fund at the end of the lead trust to be able to get an income tax deduction off of the front. But to your point, Alexandra, at the end, you know, the family acrimony and things, we did great planning for them. But in the end, one of the family members ended up taking their own life. So you never know the complexity that comes into these things. You can do great planning, really try to work with the family to have everything be understood. But the complexity that goes along with it, sometimes in those large situations are a little bit, uh, you know, can be 
um, difficult uh, uh, as well. So it's always important to consider the family and what their best interests, the, the Thanksgivings and Christmases. So the, the person took their life because of the stress of doing this all? No, not be, just eventually, you know, after this, the planning was done, but running that business, still the, the business with the family, I think was the triggering event. We did great planning to help them, but then they did more investment real estate and all of that. So it was, it was eight years after we accomplished the lead trust with them that that, that uh, event occurred. So I guess I do have a question about that then. When you work with different families, are there some things that some families do to prepare that make things a little bit easier that others don't? Like as far as, you know, getting the kids in younger or, you know, making sure that everybody's part of the business or nobody's part of the business or like what, what kinds of things have you noticed facilitate an easier transition? It's all about conversations. If the family is open and having an open dialogue about what's going on, what the assets are, who is getting what, why, and that type of thing. Right now I'm working with a family where there's two brothers that did not get, one of them worked in the family business for like a month. And the oldest brother took over the family business. And so he's being given that, but they had, Paul, you can probably understand this. They had a a bad dynasty trust that was set into place after death, death one. So when the father died and so now, but it had never been funded. So now the mother is trying to fund this trust. The brothers are all fighting and it's even cost some litigation. So I, but I'm finding little things in there where one brother thought the other brother got something that the other brother never got. And so having that open dialogue and really discussing and not having assumptions, I think can really help this situation and, and, and how the the acrimony. So yeah, I, and good plan. My, my goal is just not only to be a good planner, but to be able to have people feel empowered who are part of the planning process. Okay, great conversation. Any other yeah. questions? I, no. I don't have any, that was really informative. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really, really good, really good. I'm so glad we had you on, Tiffany. Okay, very good, yeah. have a good day. We'll, we'll talk later. Well, okay. thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. So let's do a quick review of the insights that we discovered in this episode. First, you learned about donor-advised funds, what are they, and how they might be a good idea for your family. And second, you learned good practices in operating a donor-advised fund. And I actually mentioned a couple of things to stay away from. (laughs) So coincidentally, some things that a former law firm I was in was doing. So anyway, you, you learned some of the good and the bad regarding donor advised funds. And then third, we learned the importance of asking questions, which is something that we've covered in other episodes. And speaking of reviewing things, before we end the episode, would you please go to suddenwealthprotectionlaw.com forward slash iTunes and type in your biggest takeaway or aha moment that you experienced during the episode. 
You can do this now in the review section, and when you do it, iTunes will ask you to rate the episode. I sure hope that we've earned five stars from you. We're sure trying, and if you have any helpful suggestions for us, please give me a shout, okay? Email me or call. That'd be great. So go ahead, declare your one big takeaway in the iTunes review section by visiting suddenwealthprotectionlaw.com forward slash iTunes. It'll just take a couple minutes out of your day, and the benefit to you is actually by typing something, you help to learn it better for yourself. So, okay, that does it for this week. I'm attorney Paul DeLauri, and I hope our paths cross again next week for the Sudden Wealth Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you understand the psychology of money so that you can better protect, manage, and grow your money both now and for future generations. Do whatever it takes to join us next time. I can't wait to connect with you then. All good wishes.